Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, a podcast generally about strategy and tactics games. And uh, for our 600th episode blowout, I'd like to welcome our special guests, uh, Sid Meier, Francis Fukuyama, and Napoleon Bonaparte. No, we're talking about a cool indie game today. <laughs> I'm here with Ian Boudreaux. Hey, everybody. And Rowan Kaiser. 600 episodes and we've entered our dotage. <laughs> and Jonathan Volding. I, I don't know why really, I said Jonathan. I can't really top that, on. so I'm just going gonna, gonna to leave it for Rowan. All right. <laughs> uh, yeah, um, we're actually going to be talking about Dot Age today, which is a very cool indie game that uh, we've all been varying degrees of obsessed with. Um, but let's also check in on uh, episode 500. We basically declared video games were over. Uh, what's what's the update? Is that does that seem to be uh, be holding strong? I, I feel like that declaration it was actually true. And yet the video game companies disagree and have been behaving as if we were wrong. But we were not wrong. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah it's, the ahead. wheel continues to turn. But yeah, there's, there's nothing in it anymore. <laughs> Lights are on, but nobody's home, y'all. <laughs> That's my conclusion. <laughs> All right. Um, We're making increasingly awesome versions of the games we already had. That's really, I think, what's yeah. happened in the last yeah. 100 episodes. Yeah, also, uh, like, this not, was, not a lot new. This was like 2019, right? And uh, if we had Luke on the show, Luke could give his grand theory of, like, how the pandemic really did truly, like, stop video games. And the ones that it didn't stop, it perhaps should have. Uh are you talking about live yeah. service games or uh no like just games that were shoved out before they were ready a lot oh okay okay um any any kind of recurring game like luke's big thing was the battlefield that everyone hated but he adored um yeah uh, to to speak for luke plunkett here uh like and yeah like he, he thought there were tons of good ideas in it but there was clearly hampered by the pandemic to the point that it should not have been released or should have been released after a year's delay or whatever and then just a bunch of other games like that or just a whole gap in amount of games that were released or not released that is now now flooding us with things that we might pay attention to and might not and i think we've talked about it too in the context of like there was a while there where the thing people are currently mad at paradox about was that they weren't putting out enough expansions for CK3. And I actually drew up a graph that was like, if you just consider 2020 and 2021 to be like basically a wash, they're they're ahead of pace, actually, from most of the other games. Like, we have to consider how much, you yeah. know, that impacted the ability of people to make video games for like at least two whole years and still ongoing at some level. But, um, well, it's all... It's also just worth you know noting that games are a pretty young industry and have not had a disruption event like this before. Like games does not work a year ahead of schedule the way that Hollywood does, right? right. Games does not bank usable titles in a semi-finished state for events like the pandemic. Right. That's that's a good point. Like you'd have to go back to the Atari collapse and that's functionally the start of games in, in many ways. It'd be amazing though to like have some sort of uh, vault, of like you know some some strategic games vault that we fill up <laughs> for, for just such an event. 
the United States <laughs> reserve. Yeah, yeah, strategic interactive entertainment reserve. Yeah. Fucking uh, Svalbard where... Gene Bank, but it's full of <laughs> video games. <laughs> what, what, what was the some weird what total wars in there? Yeah. The, that AB hitting Star Wars game. Yeah. Thirteen forty seven or whatever it was. Yes. Yeah. Oh, those poor people. Yeah. Well, all of those. Like we we know that there are dozens of canceled titles. They're not ready, but bring them back. Why not? And they get they would have like all we'd get a lot of like federal money infused into the games industry because True. they're funding, you know, we want to have games for five years out in the event that, you know, we have to have a total work stoppage. So we, we wouldn't uh, have to pretend that the metaverse was a thing because of a really neat Sabbath Scott <laughs> concert in Fortnite one time. <laughs> oh man. But just imagine what you get in there though. I, plus yeah, it'd be like the, the, um, you know, when, when the government buys up a bunch of, you know, surplus dairy, and makes that like cheese yeah. that doesn't ever go bad. You right. have games like that, like like a battlefield set in like the Falklands or something. And <laughs> I just feel like it's a really mean thing to say about like Anthem, you know? Yeah, like yeah it's, I, the government, it's the government cheese of video games. <laughs> Are you serious? I was genuinely thinking Anthem, even though it was technically <laughs> pre-pandemic. So I don't know. Sort of a well, symbol of where things went wrong. If if you're a United States senator and you would like to discuss curation opportunities for the new strategic video game reserve, uh, we are <laughs> listening. Yeah, we uh, we will sell out to the. And we have, uh, ex- the feds we have the extremely reasonable yeah. consulting rates. Yeah. yeah. Uh huh. Um, um, I'm I'm actually going into consulting, officially gonna gonna plant my flag there. So if you do want to come to me. Uh, this is a thing I'm going to be setting up in the next couple of weeks. Yeah. What's uh, what sort of of services are you well, uh, I, looking to provide? Right now, I think three things. One is mock reviews, which presumably most people who do games already know those, but it's where I basically play your game and review it, except a month before other people review it. And I say what the likely reactions are going to be. I just did one and was within one point on the Metacritic score a couple months ago. So that, that's got me feeling pretty confident in my, my abilities here. The second mm-hmm. thing is maybe like a quick uh, play a vertical st- slice for an afternoon and then come talk to you about it. Um, and, you know, that one would probably be reasonably affordable. Um, and then also like go over your Steam page and your marketing and that kind of thing. And I have a friend who's releasing an indie game on Steam at some point soon that I'm going to talk about and work with her to figure out like both what she wants and what I can say that I provide that as a service. But one of my things, especially if you've been following me on Twitter or whatever for like a decade, is like going to see some indie game on Steam that looks like the people who are writing about it never left a internet forum argument from the 2000s. They're like this game is hardcore. This game is only for true fan, and all the all, all of these things like that are like super niche genre descriptors that don't actually tell you what's special about the game. Uh, yeah, going and cleaning that up, that sort of thing up, is is a thing that I I would very much like to do for a lot of good looking games that maybe have bad looking words attached to them. <laughs> well, I might be uh, I might be taking advantage of of your services at some point in the future because I've actually started working on an video game. Oh, wow. We're, we're, <laughs> we're, really, all, we're really all changing our We're really our just here. 
jumping off the sinking ship that is games journalism as fast as we can. Yeah. Uh, speaking of ahead. whoops, trip. all side hustles, but not, <laughs> but not podcasting, baby. Not podcasts. Podcasting is forever. No. Yeah. <laughs> right. We'll podcast until the end of time. Um, and, and possibly work on streaming, which we're, we're definitely going to yeah. do that consistently at some point real soon. Completely. Totally. Um, speaking, speaking of side hustles or not, and Luke Plunkett, we should congratulate him and, uh, uh, Chris, Chris Person and Gita Jackson and Riley Keough and I forget the oh Nathan Grayson on uh, launching their own uh, worker-owned website, um, Aftermath and Luke gets. Yeah, I just say that's just an excellent title. Yeah, Luke absolutely gets to, fantastic name. Luke gets to complain about Total Wars there, and everyone's happy. I, I hope they're happy and can hire freelancers too. Uh, so yeah, uh, congrats to them and uh, Rob and Patrick for adding uh, adding writing over to Remap. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 sort of uh, there's there's some points of light in the darkness this year with uh, people kind of ditching their corporate masters and uh, or being ditched by their corporate <laughs> masters and going yeah. on to start their own thing. So. Yeah, I'll definitely be pitching them. I'll definitely be be uh be pitching remap. So hopefully have some work up there in the not too distant future. Because I do miss writing those kinds of articles that just like aren't SEO fodder. <laughs> it's just like a random funny thought. I yeah, remember. Yeah. Remember why we started doing this in the beginning? <laughs> yeah. No. <laughs> no all right i kind of it was do. a long I time ago granted i recall like warcraft 3 reign of chaos was really cool and i decided that's what i wanted to make my whole life about um you know you, that's you did except for the money part which is a lot more complicated right right mm. uh you, well you, get, you got the werewolf thing down <laughs> yeah yeah you know that's 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 the real important part yeah um yeah so we are going to actually discuss a game today, as we often do. Um, even if video games are over, I think there's there's certain indies that are uh, the last twinkling stars in a rapidly darkening universe. Um, I can <laughs> the, channel the, the Mad Maxes <laughs> out in yeah. the wasteland of video games. Uh, and one of those that that we pl- play recently that uh, we've really come to like, it's called Dot Age. And I think, John, were you the one that initially brought this to us? Yeah, I was. Because so, it has the two magic words that I love to hear. Worker placement. <laughs> yeah. Mm. What, Tastes so what like is, board games. What is it exactly? It is a strategic resource sort of economy driven town builder um the key with it is that it is turn-based and it is technically a a kind of roguelike game where you're expected to fail but have always have that actual chance of success um it's the kind of game where you unlock new and interesting subsystems as you go. And therefore each future playthrough of building your little town and trying to stave off a little apocalypse gets increasingly uh, both more complex and more satisfying mechanically. Like it, it rolls out its mechanics slowly enough that you can sometimes be caught off guard by interesting new things happening. And at the same time, don't get totally overwhelmed 
by getting dumped in sort of the deep end of like a million things to learn, uh, 27 ways to turn hemp into sugar or whatever your weird economy is based on this time around. Um, and, uh, it's sort of key mechanic is building buildings and assigning your little people to them. Right. So like you build a foraging stand and then you can assign anyone to it as a forager. Um, but then as your, your resource economy becomes more complex, you start having things like, Oh, well this, this is now a very large well. So like you can't just have anybody drawing water from it or little children are going to fall in. So you need somebody whose job it is to make sure no little children fall in the well, or like you've got a, uh after a certain point like yeah somebody who really needs to know how to use a knife we need that guy around <laughs> right and then it turns out that person is I don't know, useful for making paper or what have you right um and you start specializing people in the butchers and eventually you sort of build up a vaguely class-based society where you have bourgeoisie people who yeah. won't work at all except in their own little specialized profession and uh you start getting sort of an ever increasingly complex snowball of stuff to do. That was, that so, was kind of like the, the turning point for me when it was like unlocked bourgeoisie. And I was like, ah, yeah. oh, shit, there goes the name. There goes the name. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, so a lot of this is stuff that city builders do generally, like we, we've all played like impressions games where you have, someone go in and get their job doing one particular thing or, or something like an oxygen not included, I think is a, is a fairly good parallel in terms of how you train those little, those little clones. I forget what they're called. Dupes. Uh, how you claim that train those little guys to be able to do one thing really well. And then they're not especially good at the other things because that training takes time and so on. But it's the, there are two things that really separate this out. Uh, I feel um, one is that it is, turn-based um and that aspect of it really like says you have one person doing one thing and they're going to continue doing that or if it's a temporary thing they're going to stop doing that and like instead of having kind of the slow rollover of the city builder kind of going along it's like each discrete turn creates your own uh, a, a totally different like a totally different vibe of just like where I'm at and the decisions that I'm making in this moment are not like a general decision along a slow, long curve, but each individual day becomes a discrete set of decisions. And that makes it feel a little, it, at the very least different, but it also, I think, makes it feel like the decisions matter slightly more. Um, yeah, you you always have the, like, because it, you've got, one person doing one thing for that day, you all, every single decision that you make comes with the opportunity cost that right. comes with like, well, if they're doing this thing, they, that means they cannot be doing this other thing. Um, right. Yeah, and also the opportunity cost of specializing people where you're like, right. Okay. If I'm going to make this person a farmer, that means they're only going to be good for general labor tasks and farm tasks in the future. And you have a sort of the risk of over-specializing, right? Like too many people doing one particular thing or what have you. Mm -hmm. Um, The second thing about this is that this is a game by a solo developer, uh, Michelle Piravano, um, who is uh, Italian, says he's a PhD uh, in indie games and artificial intelligence. Uh, And um, I think it really shows that you have someone who made this game who thought very, very intentionally about 
all of the different like aspects of the game and especially the aesthetics, I think are the thing that really caught my attention the most. And the thing that was like, Oh, we have to do a show on this was when I looked at like the, the marketing for the game and it was talking about how the sort of chiptune music that plays in the background is actual medieval music. Um, Love that. Yeah. And that was just <laughs> like, Oh, this game's really going for it. It uses this very, a uh, very tiny little pixelated art, but has a lot of personality to it. Uh, then um, other things like the way that uh, there are like alternate buildings for each things. Like uh, one time I was getting research from like trees that were out in the m- middle of nowhere. They couldn't be near a building. And then the next time I was getting research from studies that have to be next to, to dwellings. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like just the, the general like, oh, you could have the entire flavor of what this town means just like change somewhat randomly based on how that how that goes and how it does seem to fit either way, but it can do those things. Yeah, just in addition to the intentionality of how you play this game where you have to decide this worker is here and this that's what this means and this is what I'm getting out of it, it also feels very intentionally designed like uh, he's worker, worker resource placement worker workers and resources placing us uh to to play his game and uh it's a, a very impressive little achievement yeah the other big thing that is kind of like the, the the third pillar of this is that you have basically uh you have to feed your people but then the other outputs you're um worried about are these four different domains and there's there's hot and cold, which counter each other, which is based on what season you're in, um, where if, you know, the the winter comes and nature is generating more cold than you are heat, you might get a disaster like an avalanche that just like wipes out your whole village. But then you'll get a good event if you meet a certain threshold. And then there's fear, which is countered by hope, which is you know, building places to hang out with your buds or like pubs eventually later on uh, once you unlock, you know, brewing and stuff. And then uh, Cataclysm is the other one, which is is countered by a resource called nature, which is a little bit more abstract than the other ones. But I think it's sort of supposed to be you're you're showing reverence to the earth or to the gods or something like a lot of the buildings are like shrines and temples and then they won't punish you by sending an earthquake to take out half your village or something like that. Right. Um, so it becomes like this balancing act between countering the domains that are currently most active while still also, you know, producing enough food. Like my first run that went yeah. fairly long, I, I just ran out of food and then that generates a oh, sickness is the other one, which is if people are starving and generate sickness, they can also just get diseases. And then it's countered by health, which is from like, you know, building an herbalist or something like that. Yeah. So also I think, yeah, the, the, there is a level of difficulty and expected, like expected disaster here. Like it's, you could perhaps beat this game on the first playthrough on a normal difficulty. I don't think that's impossible, uh, but uh, I certainly didn't. And I think in general, you would be expected not to. But as John said, at the start, you start seeing like, 
you see these patterns and you kind of get unlocks, you know, you know what the future complexity is going to look like, which is a little different from necessarily having the tools that will help for sure. It's not quite like, oh, now you have a plus five longsword. Uh, no, it's like, it's more like, okay, now I know that when the winter comes, I'm going to be needing fire and I got s- stuck too long researching fire in the winter. So I should try to do that in the summer or autumn. And, you know, I know where this is on the on the little research tree. I know how to how to get to that. I can prepare like so like, it, yeah, it's it's kind of a level of both in game in game ability to see what's coming and also like personal knowledge and mastery over the systems as opposed to just giving uh, just giving you more tools specifically, although there is a little bit of that. Um, yeah, the, the also, thing I wanted to say. Go ahead. Oh well, <clears throat> speaking of looking forward, I mean that the, that's kind of the through line for the game, and I think the the joke in the title of Dot Age is that the it's a story being told by this old man who has the gift of prophecy. So you kind of have this this weird scroll that you can look at that that kind of shows when some of these events are going to be coming, uh, you know, in each season. Um, they could be omens or, uh, you know, different kind. But anyway, you're always counting down to some event in one of the domains that's active, uh, you know, at any given time. So there's this kind of like prophecy mechanic that's built in, I guess, which is. Yeah. <laughs> and I really like that, especially yeah. in the context of city builders, because city builders, a lot of the time are a. Are a genre of game where you hit failure spirals that you didn't know you were going to hit. Mm-hmm. You, you didn't, you don't know why you failed until after it's happened. Um, and I guess it's a pleasant surprise here. Like that. You, you know why you failed. Like you yeah. saw it coming down the pipe. It was like, yeah, it's going to get cold or um, there's a plague on the way you need to a potential plague, right? You need to make sure you're out balancing the, the badness with the goodness. Yeah, I think that's that's a really that's a really interesting aspect of it because it's not that different from a lot of the spirals that you get into, but it's like you know sort of the spirals as they're happening up front and because you're you're maneuvering the workers and the the workers are like your core resource, these things like shift around in the game. So the big one and in most of the early games that I have played is the the hope mechanic versus the fear. I think that's the first thing that it introduces and with good reason. And the way that you counter the fear is by having two of your two of your people sit down and talk. Uh and that will help build community and give the community hope and so on. But if those people are talking all day, those people are not doing something else. And so I got in a similar spiral as Lynn did in my first game where uh, I have these people talking too much that I don't actually have food for when the the pressures start coming from a different angle. I was always at survival rations instead of preparing for the winter. And this this led to a clear a clear problem that I decided to restart before I, I saw the actual disasters, which I think might have been a mistake because the disasters can be kind of silly. Um, but yeah, the a lot of the ways that you counter th- these these domain things are by 
choking your economy slightly or even a lot as as it goes on like in later domains later fear domains i had like six of my workers sitting at their tables chatting with one another just to like try to break even there and did not have the research to get fire and cold uh eventually destroyed my my little household or my little my little village in the valley and like it sort of piles up and you know it's piling up and you just are like maybe if i get through the winter and i can just start getting that food again but no i yeah uh but you you do see it happening as it's happening know how and why it's a little bit arbitrary um the 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 guy will just say yeah there's a doom event coming in this particular thing you got to deal with it but it's an arbitrary that grants structure to a genre that does not always have good good structure it also Um, gives shape and form to like the way like it gives you an idea of what you ought to be working on uh in a way that i was that's like it's been surprising in a couple delightful ways and one of those has been in like as a (laughs) as an american uh (laughs) i feel like uh you know my first instinct of course was to pull people off that little community chat uh the couple logs where they sit down and build community because hey everybody needs to be gathering berries we need food we're just uh, we need to you know feed everybody but the amount of fear that builds up is a lot like and fast uh so i mean so the the amount of time that you do have to dedicate to generating hope uh is is significant (laughs) like it's not a uh i wound up for my first couple of seasons just giving up on it because the fear was building up way too fast for me to actually do anything about um, it's very interesting from my yeah. end because in my town we just picked several unlucky people and we made them juggle knives in the town square all day <laughs> and, and that's it, that kept that kept people pretty hopeful as it were we call those people podcasters yeah <laughs> that's, that's, that's right. literally what we're doing right now we're here to count, <laughs> we are juggling counter knives the, counter yeah. the fear in your life by uh, juggling knives in the town yeah. square well, I mean, this whole podcast started with like doom and gloom so i don't think we're doing a very good job of it but uh <laughs> yeah it, it is like um it's it when you start like a new chapter or like a new season it'll tell you what order the threats are going to come up in on like that prophecy page and then it also tells you what the doom is going to be which is like the final boss of this segment so yeah, you do you do get the opportunity to plan ahead, uh, which really ends up being kind of the key I, I felt to progressing past the early game into the mid game is like learning, okay, I need to have this much infrastructure that produces this ahead of time for when this hits, because if you get hit with like a plus 10 fear event and you just don't even have enough buildings to be producing 10 hope, you're you know, you're really screwed at that point. Um, yeah, the the first winter is definitely really rough. That was like that was a barrier for me for quite a while. Um, and I finally made it through it by realizing how. Um, how important it is to think about planning your town in terms of not so much just getting more buildings, but looking at the buildings that will let one person produce more of a specific type of resource like yeah. that that's really the what barbecue. ended up 
getting me through. Yeah, the barbecue is like the goat in the early game. Like, I, yeah, I got that ups. real late and I was like, geez, yeah. I should have been eating chicken this whole time. Yeah, yeah. Because you have you have berries, which I think are kind of a trap at the beginning, which is just like, here's a way you could get some food, but it's finite. And when winter comes, they're gone. Um, and then it's, you kind of. I I considered this like an Age of Empires <laughs> reference. Yeah, like it, yeah, it feels very it, similar to that. Yeah, yeah, you, you, this will this will get you started, but you gotta you gotta be doing some level of farming or ranching by the time that right. anything actually matters. And from well, there, I got, it is a trap too because I, I, I could I could have my foragers set to gather berries. You just get two out of the woods for each day, right? But yeah, that's like no, the that emergency. Was, we're starving. We have to do something. Is just set yeah. We were just always in that, <laughs> always in that state. Yeah, mm. um, it does feel like Age of Empires in that. Yeah, in another funny way where. Um, you get the moment where you get like a farm proper and mm. surrounded by little fields. And suddenly you're just like rolling in more bread than your people could ever conceivably eat. It's very <laughs> satisfying. Yeah. Well, I, I found farming in the first year is kind of a trap too, because uh, that also turns off during winter. And if you didn't have warehouses built already to store all of those like wheat and tomatoes and stuff, then you will have just been feeding your village and then your farms will turn off and you'll die in, you know, a couple of weeks. Um, oh, that's interesting. I, I didn't really have that experience. I had, I, I, I got like tomatoes or what have you really early. And uh-huh. they sort of just were rolling in, in that first playthrough to the point where I had so many tomatoes coming in uh, and then I was getting all these berries and it enabled me to really quickly just go to the food cap on both of those. And then just ignore food for the entirety of winter, right? That's oh. what you want. I've never, <laughs> I was never close. That's the dream. Distance level. Yeah, that, that is the dream. Just to have yeah. that many tomatoes that you never have to think about food again. How big was your village? Um, I actually just went and loaded up this first save and there are 36 people. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Five of them are not working. Because they are having a little, pro- they invented protesting and now they're having a protest. <laughs> Aww. Can you believe this shit? <laughs> well, the bourgeoisie showed up. You've got it. That's what has to happen. You've got to. Yeah. Uh, there's the one bourgeoisie person in the whole town, and they work at the school. Yeah. So, teachers, teachers, teachers unions. Um. <laughs> so, so the population is another really interesting thing that this game does. Uh, the way that they do it is simply that you when you have two workers who are free you just tell them to to go make out and they will go they will go create a new pip they're called uh the workers are and that pip will grow over four days and i have been like kind of slowly doing that and thought that i needed more because i had like 12 or 15 people in the first winter i went through and hearing that john got to 36 maybe suggests that even my my slow build that might get me to 20 is uh, maybe something I should I should look into to changing up. This city is on year six. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. It has yeah. wow. 30. Sorry, I clicked intern 37 <laughs> people. Ooh, it went I like that. I, my, I got a good laugh lines for a while where they they the old guy, um, uh, the elder 
explains the um the making babies system and how yeah you just send to it doesn't matter what they look like just send them to the house and they'll make a baby and he said there's a, a bit of text where he says okay did you get that i'm not going to explain this again <laughs> it's just yeah. like yeah two people go into a house they make a baby that's what happens we're not talking about this ever again I just yeah. like to imagine that there is, in fact, just a baby mine beneath all the houses. <laughs> yeah. That's they go down there and they dig with pickaxes. So I think I made the same mistake Rowan made on my first couple villages, which is that I was trying to grow very slowly to not um, end up in in a food, uh, bad food situation like I did the first the very first time I played and the threats from the domains just become so significant in like the second year that if you grew too slowly, you're, you're basically already dead. Like you, you really, you need to be like every time a kid grows up, I, I make another one. And then once the house is full, I I'm already am building another house to be ready to continue growing because the, you know, having, two hunters and two grill masters or whatever versus one of each, like it produces, you know, 14 food instead of seven. So like, okay, that's another seven villagers I could feed. And once yeah, the, you kind of get that math in your head, it, the it food becomes, income is super fun for that yeah. exact reason where you're just like, yeah. Oh, if I could just find space to get one more, you know, find <laughs> some way to eke out like a little more food, a little more productivity out of what I have right now. then I'll have, I'll have what I need for so many more people to operate, right? Which yeah. I really, I really enjoyed. There's also these, um, I think they're called boons. Yeah. They're just yeah. like little, little bonuses you can get for succeeding at stuff, right? Like if an event goes well, you get these sort of little, just small stuff, like plus uh, crops can be harvested two more times before they need to be replanted or something like that, right? Um, and it's very much to me has that like, like a roguelike like slay the spire almost right where you can get some of them and you're like all right that's what my that's what my runs about like that's what my strategy is mm -hmm. here where like in this this most successful village i've loaded up the first thing i got was all your houses can hold an extra person which is huge oh, wow. right yeah. so like immediately i can fit so many more people in my village for so many fewer resources so a lot of what you're doing becomes about like, oh, okay, I know I can be super efficient with housing. And so. Especially because once you get bourgeoisie, they want bougie houses. And when you Clowns. upgrade it, when you upgrade a house, you have to choose between turning it into a bougie house or turning it into a house that can hold more people. And you can't believe you would make the bourgeoisie <laughs> live in an upgraded home. Not not a, not like a real fancy house. Yeah, exactly. Or they'll yeah, and they'll just they'll generate fear if I think it's fear if you don't meet their needs, which yeah, basically un, all, like all people just make everyone stressed out. All social conflict is kind of rolled into the fear domain, like murder, like there could be a murder happen is one of the events uh, for fear. That's kind no, of man. I had there, a uh, yeah, a one of my kids wound up going on a killing spree and killing like four other villagers. <laughs> and, like, Sorry for laughing, but that is hysterical. Yeah, no, oh, I, it was, it was darkly funny, but I, like I was legitimately shocked. I think I, I had maybe 12 villagers at the time and they uh, all went over to this kid's house and he killed four of them just in a row. 
man. That, yeah, that might be like the the maximum bad uh, bad fear domain event. I had one where I had like a bunch of villagers get frozen in the winter, so they were all sick and hungry, and uh, that's apocalyptic. Yeah, and then and then like they're slowly just like the um, the bad health. Uh, the sickness domain built up and I got an event called the breath of death where six villagers just gathered in a circle and then they all burped and every single one of them died. Yeah. And it was like, my, my health domain was at like 12 and my sickness domain was at like 110. It's like, okay. So the the magnitude here also matters. Uh, This game is telling me that I am done and it is right. Well, uh, yeah, it's interesting because like they won't just naturally die over time from being sick. But the fact that you have sick villagers adds more to the sickness domain. And then the next time you get a sickness event, it can target the ones who are already sick to kill them. So it's sort of like you have a second chance, but also that spiral is built in. Like I had an event where... 16 buildings caught on fire and it's like okay the fire domain is now at plus 81 per turn there's no way i'm getting out of this there's not enough water in the world (laughs) to douse this disaster yeah Yeah, i think there's there's uh, it reminded me of the way that risk management is done in corporate situations where you have kind of two dimensions of, of of assessing risk and one of them is the likelihood of it happening and then the the severity of like of failure, right? And it seems like dot age kind of looks at risk in the sort of the same way, where yeah, like being sick itself isn't lethal, or that's not what caught. But having a bunch of people who are sick increases your risk level, and then the uh, the length of time that that maintains, um, like increases the severity of a of a of a failure event yeah there's just a lot of like uh you need to make your choices or you can get into situations where you make choices like okay i'm gonna let getting sick ride for now because i don't think you know it it, the symbol on the prophecy scroll is like a small bad thing so you're like okay it's just gonna be some people are gonna get sick right and Mm -hmm. then that gives you that chance where you're like okay well i'm gonna deal with this other crisis and then i'm gonna move in and i know that know that the big sickness is coming after this little one. So I'm going to go ahead and just start building a bunch. I'm going to build a bunch of doctors and I'm going to have, sew a bunch of little hats with a skull on them, which is what the doctors wear. And then (laughs) I'm going to, I'm going to solve that problem when, when we get to it. Right. Yeah. Well, and I also, I'm curious because you've played, if you've made it to year six, you've made it way further than I have. Uh, Do, do people eventually start just dying of old age or, is it I haven't seen for... anyone die of old age. No. Okay. Cause there is like a, a mechanic for like grave sites and, uh, yeah, um, I got it with corpses, but I've never really used it because if I have a bunch of people die, that run is basically over. <laughs> I got it. Uh, yeah, no, I, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I, I need to figure thing... that out fast because those four guys, the uh, kid killed are just sort of laying around <laughs> outside that house now. <laughs> and I feel like that's going to be a problem. Okay. Very I think soon. Uh, I think dead people generate like sickness and fear yeah. at the same time. Yeah. Unless you bury Not them. Good. Yeah. Um, and then they, they generate hope and health once they're buried. So. Oh, really? Because I uh, in that same game, I got a thing where it was like an exact 50 50 shot 
when an event came around of a good or a bad thing happened and the little slider spinning around landed right in the center on on like on the line and the boon i got was like um that dead pips don't make sickness or fear anymore like no one cares if someone's dead but (laughs) as soon as someone gets hungry they just walk into the ocean wow (laughs) they just die right it's like um, nihilism or yeah <laughs> it's like uh i don't know it's like Ooh. we've got great we've got great medicine question mark it's 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 literally like all the others are like boon exclamation mark and this one is boon question mark which i find very funny yeah, well, yeah i got a boon that like allows up. you to eat trees <laughs> I've, I've seen that one yeah what? we should yeah. talk about so we should talk about what these events actually are because we we have it, we sort of haven't covered that for the people who haven't played this game. Um, this game has like a bunch of little little interludes, cutscene type things that it calls events, and each one is like some little cute thing, a, a tiny little cute story. Uh, sometimes you can tell what's happening, and it's it's just like a kid goes into the wood and finds tin tin buckets of hemp or whatever. I don't know how the hemp is. I don't know how the hemp is stored. Ten hemp's. Um, and hemp is stored in the vault. Sorry, I had to. <laughs> and then, uh, and then, like one time, I got like a a random event where um, it was like a sneak kiss, and one of my pips went and gave another one a spooch, and the other one like was gave. That because she got a smooch, she was giving two hope for the next five turns, and that was that was quite useful. And it said that there might be something happening at the end of that, and I don't remember if it was positive or negative. But um, you get these little moments, and sometimes they're bigger ones. Like I, I mentioned, the the breath of death one. Uh, Ian's little murder spree might have had a <laughs> might have had a name attached to it. That kind of thing. Some of yeah. the events are coming on the schedule of the domains. Uh, like the Breath of Death one was not a random thing. It was that there was a sickness thing that was going to happen at some point in the next in the next little bit. And it did happen and it was extraordinarily bad. Um, but yeah, you, you will get these events that are sometimes random. Sometimes they're like on rails, like the game is telling you, OK, here's the next thing that's going to happen. You're going to learn about the cataclysm domain. And here's the event that will trigger that. The fear domain is triggered by someone seeing a crow in the woods, which is apparently extremely scary and not kind of cool. Uh, <laughs> Man, my house is like the seat of the fear domain, for the record. <laughs> there are so uh, many crows. Yeah, and so like sort of everything that this game does that's beyond just the the worker resource management part of it gets filtered through these events and these events can be affected by if you're as we've talked about a little if you're building enough hope if you're building enough health if you're building enough nature then you can you'll get like a coin flip and the coin flip will be weighted on one side or if you've got it to 100% both either good or bad it won't even bother with the coin flip part um I love that bit of UI, too, where, like, if it's somewhere in the middle, it's this little bar that bounces back and forth based on Mm. how much of the bar is filled up good and how much is bad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that's a great little touch. It's it's a little thing that, like, Baldur's Gate 3 has, like, with the dice rolls, instead of just, like, oh, you won or you didn't. It's 
you actually like see the little tactile process of whether you got this roll or not, which if the game is going to have random rolls is probably a good idea to get you to have some level investment. At a certain level, it's, you know, the gacha thing where showing people how the box opens is a way that gets them excited about the shitty little uh, thing that they spent $500 on. Um, but like, this is yeah, not like, you know, morally wrong. We're, we're as a species terrible at assessing probability. And so I think mm -hmm. having that visualization of it is brilliant. Yeah, yeah, I quite, I quite like it. I also really love the visualization at the end of each day of how your resources are being spent, right? You see yeah. the little tomatoes go flying out of the storage numbers on the left-hand side of the screen and smack into every little person. Well, and you get that uh, like running kind of balance sheet the entire day too. Like you can see your credits and debits on every resource, like as you move, like that, that changes dynamically on that right or that left-hand column, which is, is great. But it's also like, uh, Len, I think you pointed out it, it's a trap because like, it's like, oh man, I'm only producing enough berries to keep everybody fed. I can't, like I've got eight berries coming in and eight coming out at the end of the day. I can't take anybody off of berries. Um, but mm -hmm. I, at the same time, you you do get to see exactly where, um, like your production and, 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 um, like what your needs are, what's going to get spent every single day. Which is great. And there's a lot of really yeah. good, uh, warnings built in like, oh, you're overproducing water today or you're over, like you, it always tells you if you're making enough too much and can't store it or, um, those sorts of scenarios where like you might realize in another game, you might play for 20 minutes before you realize you're making so much stone. It can't be stored and no, there's no warning or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. um, it's nice in this very almost finicky with production of, of valuable things game to, to always get those warnings. It's funny. Cause it's like on that level, it's a game of perfect information, but then on the other level, it's like, the first few times yeah. you play is constantly going to be smacking you with things that there's no way you could have ever predicted. Well, like there's a lot. lot of, there's a lot of variation in severity with the, like if you get a bad event from, you know, sickness, it could just be, okay, some farm animals died and it's like, that's all right. We can get more of those. Or it could be like eight people in the village are now sick and can't work for the next 10 days which completely destroys your economy. And by the way, it's going to add 16 to the sickness tracker. And there's another sickness event coming later in this, uh, this prophecy. Um, so you are, even if you get a bad event, you're like crossing your fingers for like, okay, just let it be something we can deal with. Um, and then sometimes it's 17 buildings light on fire and you're just like, well, yeah. that was a fun save. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I find myself thinking um, that a lot as, as I play. Yeah. It's like, we uh, let's just like cross our fingers and hope for manageable. Yeah. You know, yeah. But then again, like, you the know, other... relatable experience living in the United States in 2023. <laughs> so, like, sometimes though you, you roll on the little thing and it lands in the green and a child wanders in the woods and finds a cat. You yeah. Know? And that's so, good. Yeah. It's and great. Just I mean, that's just a, just a permanent bonus to hope. Cause everyone's yep. like, Hey, we got a cat. It's just having having cats around. You don't have to feed them, and they just give you hope. So, um, uh, yeah, not my cat. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, well, that's really... what cats were good for in pre-industrial societies. Yeah. Now they just laze around and do nothing. Uh, my 
bite me. That would, yeah, um, that would be so, maybe a, a fear, a bad fear of it is that your cat just turns into a little shit. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, um, so we've been like pretty much pretty much entirely positive on this game so far. And I am like very positive on it, but I think I might be the most negative here just because like when I play games that are like super intentionally designed and require kind of this, this level of attention and figuring out like each turn is a, each turn is a puzzle. It would be an exaggeration in this game, but it's uh, it just feels like there's kind of a, a a constant expectation that I am like at my best while playing it. Uh, And that's the sort of thing. Another game that I think has this, um, a couple other games that give me the same feeling and it kind of makes it difficult for me to stay motivated to play. This was a game that I was just sort of poking at for six weeks until we actually set this deadline. And I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to actually like hunker down and see how far I could get here. Um, deadline being this show, I mean. Uh, deadline not being that all my pips were going to die, although they did. Um, one game that immediately comes to mind is Civilization VI. Uh, five also kind of, but that that level of like, I need to be planning all these things ahead and I'm not really sure that I want to be doing that, but it is really satisfying when I do do that. Uh, and it's it's really kind of cute to see the economy get built in the way that I'm trying to build it and making those choices. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's a mostly positive comparison, but it's also a game that, as we've discussed like 30 times on this show, uh, I, I, I kind of have trouble. I kind of have some motivation issues with playing it. Uh, because I think it it takes that kind of attention. The other game that comes to mind is one that we did a show on like 10 years ago and is getting a sequel soon, but that's Reus, uh, the sort of god, two-dimensional god strategy sim type thing where um, placing various, uh, the placement of where you put like three different boons that each god had would combine with other different gods that were near them or other different boons that were near them. And you could get like, build up like really complex societies and so on from, uh, from those choices that you were making. And like, that was just such a real super cool and neat design, but it always was so intentionally designed that I was like, I could be doing this better. I don't know. Something seems to be just slightly wrong with everything I do and not in a way that was like, I'm motivated to do more, but in that, like, I feel like I have to uh, really concentrate and decide on the perfect order of all these things in order to figure this out or go and read a guide, which is not my preference to do either. Um, so, yeah, it's it, this game sort of feels like it falls in that category of uh, slight over intentionality and that it might just be that my personality is one that kind of rebels against that. Uh, and uh, if yours is not, then this is a perfect game for you. But, yeah. yeah, I think I think there's a certain level of like just accepting that some things will be chaotic or unoptimized. But mm-hmm. I definitely agree with you that you hit spots where you forget that things elaborately require other things. Right. You're yeah. like, oh, I'm I don't need this little social meeting spot anymore. I'm going to delete it. And then like the tailor next door is like, look, without those two logs over there, I am not working. <laughs> yeah yeah i i think what alleviates that for me somewhat is the roguelite side of this 
which is that it, it seems like I also I should say I've been playing on hard which because I talked with the developer and uh, that's what he recommended I start with since I'm a, a strategy veteran. Uh, so I might have had a slightly different experience. Uh, yeah, I've because been of that as normal. well. Um, but what what alleviated that feeling of like everything has to be perfect is that it definitely feels like this game knows that you're going to fuck that up and it'll give you a pat on the back for it. Like, even if you get only bad events, you're still getting a little bit of progress toward like the global unlocks that follow you from game to game. Yeah. And that is sort of what I see as, okay, that's more, more important than the fate of this single village is that I'm going to unlock more stuff, which also like cats. Exactly. It also plays hilariously into the sort of characters and theme of the game where like your primary narrator is like inherently unreliable, right? Like he is in Uh his dotage as it were, like the, the events of your game are happening in the past. And so like, when it fails, he's like, no, that can't be right, because I'm still alive. Yeah, that's not right? how it went. Hang on. Uh, yeah. And so and it, it it unlocks stuff that changes up how you play every time, too, because, yeah, you can you can unlock alternate um, tech trees, basically, where parts of the tech tree are partially randomized. And it might be like I had one run where it was like all hemp. Everything we do is hemp. We we're just we're. We are we are the 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 CU Boulder campus during move in week. Uh, hemp is <laughs> it, life. I was just um, about to say that my college was like that. And you took, you yeah. took my, my interrupting joke. Uh, and then um, eventually you unlock new profits, which completely changes how you play. I just unlocked the second one, which is the shaman, I believe. Uh, she's called where like you're you're like your nomads who live in tents and the whole way you build your cities is different from how the default default guy does. And there's even two more that I haven't unlocked yet. Um, So actually, so so I do think that playing on hard might be an interesting thing. Like the way that uh, I did not actually enjoy playing battle brothers on like with, with any kind of saves. I just like, I want to, I want this game to fuck me up. Like, I'm I'm doing all Iron Man here, and that's going to be that's going to be far more entertaining than trying to like min max things and slowly grind out maybe beating this necromancer, but everything's gone to hell. Like I, if I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die fast and hard. Uh, and yeah, this game this game might get get me more of that. So maybe next time I'll try on hard if this run doesn't if this run doesn't click. I agree with what Rowan was saying too. Um, that. Like I think this game compares in a lot of ways to another game we've talked about, uh, against the storm. But yeah. um yeah. But the thing Absolutely. is that it does lack that kind of improvisational feel that um against the storm has. And I do feel like you you I never got I haven't gotten rid of the sense that there is a correct way to do this, except I'm just not doing it. Um so there is that. And and it against the storm kind of feels a little bit looser and more forgiving in that you can sort of muddle your way through and create your own solution. And that seems to be kind of encouraged and fine. Whereas dot age. Yeah. You're, I mean, and it it understands that you're going to screw things up, but you are screwing things up because you're not, you know, using the optimal number of cabins and foragers and farms or, you know, it does have this kind of like, you know, in Starcraft, how there's like the correct number of 
harvesters yeah. on the crystal line. And it, it, there is that, I feel like, for this. Um, I think that's to a certain extent true, though. I do also think that the randomized maps take some sting out of that. Um, sure. As does like what's available, right? It's like you get a, you start a new map and you're like, well, we don't have any chickens this time. So don't know what we're going to do about that. Right. So you sort of have to figure it out from there. I um, haven't seen a fish. I ain't ever seen no fish. Yeah. I, have I was pretty mad when I uh, unlocked the, uh, the fishing hut and then it said, you can't build this anywhere because there's no fish. It's like, yeah. oh, okay. Well, they they can spawn too if you get a good nature event. It can okay. add additional edible fauna to the map. That is certainly um, true. I had one where suddenly my village was overrun with rabbits. Yeah. I was like, why are there so many rabbits all of a sudden? Have, have, you, figured out, have you figured out the chicken triangle? It's it's like the most overpowered thing I've discovered so far. No, I think I had a similar go, I had an experience house, where uh house pen house in a line and then going vertically another pen in another house. And then you put an egg, whatever the egg building is in the middle the of the shack. triangle. Yeah. Yeah. yeah the, the egg shack. And that produces an absurd amount of food for only needing one person to, uh, oversee it. Yeah. See, yeah. I, um, I did what you did where I sort of invested too much into chickens and was like, I'm going to have chickens and that's going to give me like things I need, like food. And then yeah. it turns out it's like kind of hard to get enough chickens to make it worthwhile at first. Uh-huh. Um, so my response was to simply kill every chicken. Yeah, it well, does ever. sound like the John Bolding yeah. response. Reasonable, yeah. Because the egg eggs require more technology that I didn't have yet, and I and the butcher kills more chickens than the natural reproduction rate of chickens, which you can kind of fight by luring more wild chickens into the chicken pen <laughs> but at that point you might as well just put up a hunting lodge next to the wild chickens because that actually get if you as long as you cook it that gets you more food for pop or that's for, what i did yeah so yeah I, chickens I, I i haven't really done farming i've just built a four seasons hunting and fishing economy that works no matter what time of year it is but fucking hippies i've tamed the land yeah 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 we're 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 totally uh we're what's that guy that ate he said he ate only raw meat the liver king or whatever (laughs) and i just built a liver king village yeah we're just we're getting colon cancer left and right it's it's great um yeah well well that sounds like a good ending no i don't know um yeah, I think we've gone over most of the sort of interesting mechanics here. Uh, did anybody else have any any complaints? Let's make a Dan Stapleton TM uh, complaint <laughs> ghetto here. Yeah, uh-huh. yeah, we're entering the complaint ghetto segment. I think um, it's interesting. I, I, I didn't actually have that many complaints with this, other than I, I do a little bit agree with Rowan where some where I played it a bunch and then I was like, that does sound kind of mentally taxing to like optimize the placement of my random crap. Yeah, it's 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 not like a criticism per se. It's just like, yeah, like when I've been having a hard time, which is, you know, permanently, uh, that's the this game is not like the first one that pops up on my list. That's playing seven more hours of Marvel Snap, which (laughs) that's a me problem. <laughs> that's it, on it, you. Yeah. It definitely wants to keep you stressed out about something at yeah. all times. Yeah. 
Yeah, if you don't want to be a little stressed while playing this, just turn the difficulty down a little bit. because I do yeah. think that, that will help you a lot. Uh, if I have a complaint, it's the UI is kind of limited by the art style, the pixel art, just like there's icons for a lot of stuff that aren't necessarily intuitive. Yeah, yeah I, if you don't I, have I, terminal board game brain like me, and you see like a little <laughs> icon and it becomes permanently associated with a concept. Yeah, th uh, this is this is actually the the other part of what I wanted to talk about a little in terms of like the the overall intentionality and everything feeling like it fits in this place is like sometimes it feels like if you missed that place, then you're just way behind. Uh, if you if you were like not paying full attention when they did that tutorial or you didn't pay attention to whose hat is which hat and how to get the person in the right hat doing the, the job that they need to be doing. Uh, those things those things can all be those all those all feel a little bit masked. I would just love to be able to click on a pip and see who they are. Yeah, uh, that, that is that is a thing that I would like to be able to do. Yeah. Yeah. I do like that. Like you can some some concessions are made to those problems for like if you zoom out and you click the building that you want someone to work at it will highlight the names of all the people who could be working there but are doing something else so yeah. you can go and find them yeah there, there are there are ways about it and it's a very cleverly designed interface for like the level of complexity of the game uh just like there are a few a few things that i would i would like a little bit a little bit more of an option um the other thing that is just i don't I mentioned this at the start, but this game is just super cute. And that's that goes a long way. Like the the pixel art is uh, like it's hard to tell which hat these characters have. But once you kind of do like the the pharmacist character has like a little a little like white trucker hat with a bug on it, like a, a an illness bug, not a though so it's it's close to a. It's close to an insect, but yeah, uh, like once I figured that out, I was like, oh, that's so cute, but I had to figure that out. But yeah, the, these are, and these characters are like, they're tiny. They're not a huge number of pixels, but what they, what they managed to have is really, really well conveyed. Yeah. There's well, a lot of characters. Like 10 or 12 pixels high each character. Yeah. maybe. Yeah. It definitely yeah. punched for me, at least punched right through the sort of pixel fatigue of like, I see pixel games all the time. And so. Uh, I may not be interested or I may automatically dismiss some games based on that. The the interface thing that tripped me up was the jobs that take multiple days. I didn't realize because it's like a segmented arrow and I didn't realize what that meant. I thought that yeah. meant I could assign more people to it and I couldn't figure out how to do that. So I was like, ah, I'll figure it out later. Uh, OK, yeah. And then I never built the upgraded hunting and fishing checks in that playthrough because I was like, well, it doesn't say it produces more food, so why would I, why would I devote resources to that when actually what it does is it makes one hunt or one fishing trip take one day instead of three, which, if you do the math on a napkin, that's actually three times as much food. Uh, so that one kind of tripped me up, but um, yeah, I also I did turn the smooth font on because I did find the pixel font kind of became a little bit tiring to read oh yeah that's definitely a while, but... just a brain thing but it is really nice <sighs> that it's there um, yeah it's sort of a key right like mm -hmm. pixel fonts especially if you have a friend with dyslexia you just can't recommend the game to them because they just can't read it right well there is a there actually one of the selectable fonts is the open dyslexic font yeah which is wonderful um, so it's yeah. great to see that yeah uh, really really good accessibility stuff in there 
Um, yeah. Uh, I, the other thing I want to ask you, John, since I think you've played more than all of us, is have you unlocked the, any of the last two uh, village leaders yet? I, I actually haven't. Okay, interesting. Because I know um, one of them is called the Captain. He's like the third one you unlock, and I'm just curious how their economy differs from from the first two. Because have, have you unlocked a different terrain? Does that come with the the village leader? Like? Yeah, they they all have their own biome, or at okay. least the two that I've unlocked have their own biome. Because the the shaman, her whole society is about like like harmony with nature. Like you get bonuses for having buildings that are near wild animals and they gain fear anytime an animal dies anywhere on the map so ah. you basically have to go like full vegan um so yeah i'm i'm really looking forward to seeing what the other ones do um i really like that how it not only does do the unlocks like the global unlocks slowly increase the complexity of the game but they also increase the diversity of the possible starting setups you can find yourself in um uh fruit trees was the other one that just like completely changes your early game because they produce more than berries and you can use them more times than berries so you can really re rely on foraging for a long time if you spawn with a bunch of fruit trees oh that's interesting um, i i yeah. had the experience where uh i was playing and playing and playing and then i unlocked the ability to cut down forests uh -huh. And I was like, holy crap. Yeah. I thought I thought that I was treating this landscape that I that randomly generated here like it was set in stone, like it was a permanent feature. Uh, yeah. And then it turns out you I can I can affect this now. And that is a huge, really delightful leap forward. It reminds me of a um, a legacy board game in that aspect uh -huh. where suddenly a new mechanic will get introduced. You'll be like, oh, well, this is a it feels so different. Like I have so many more possibilities and interesting options available to me but at the same time the the core of what you were enjoying is still there it didn't change which is very yeah. pleasant yeah and like urban planning gets really important later on because like you'll have buildings that okay this has to be within two of a leisure building or i can't upgrade it to the next level and the leisure building also needs a social building within two squares so it's like i've started building my cities by building houses in a three by three grid with a hole in the middle because that's what ends up being optimal later on so i think that's just part of like what you learn over many many repetitions of figuring out what works and what doesn't um as a roguelike should encourage you to do um what ian would you recommend dot age dotage dotage i would i uh i think it is a, as we've kind of talked about, it's a very intentional kind of fussy game. Um, and you've got to, like, you kind of have to have that Dwarf Fortress brain of losing is fun uh, for a little bit. But if you can do that, I mean, and, and if you can look at it, I do think that the look may put some people off. I think that the pixel art is pretty effective. But, uh, but yeah, no, this is, it's a great game. It's super interesting. I love that it, it just continuously reveals complexity and, uh, and kind of an interconnectedness. And I, I really like its sort of attitude toward building a community too. Um, so yeah, uh, I gladly recommend do Dotage. <laughs> what about Dot you, Rowan? Yeah, I, I just have that like, 
as Ian said, like it, it is most negative ways. It can be a little fussy, but I am generally very much in favor of this game and happy we're doing a show on it. But uh, it is it is a game that I kind of struggled to like really put my concentration on and wanted to make sure that people knew that that was perhaps a, a common side effect include. John, I, I'm assuming this also gets your recommendation. It does, I think, not just because it is a an interesting game that sits right there with uh, we made it. I, I joked at the beginning is that gaming hasn't kind of come up with anything new in like five years. Um, but that's not true, right? Because both this and Against the Storm are two different, very interesting new takes on the city builder as something that you play over and over rather than uh, making a single city to perfection forever. And I think that that is pretty fascinating to see come back after the like 20 year hiatus from the like Pharaoh era, right? Mm -hmm. Of like city builders having campaigns. We, we haven't done that in a long time, but like these aren't campaigns as much as they are a series of, of cities that you build that improve upon each other. Um, and this is a really, really beautiful example of not just a cool game, but a game that is learning from other medium. It's got a lot of interesting lessons to be learned from board games that have been applied here really well, um, as well as just visual design and putting a, a rich spin on what a city builder can be, which is always going to get my interest. Uh, yeah, I would also very easily recommend this game. Um, I, I've played, I started playing it, Tuesday afternoon, I think, and I've played it most of the last two days. Uh, so I think I think there was there was a wall for me with like getting through that first winter on hard. And then once I got over that, like I really started to be like, OK, I I'm digging this now. Like I've I've made it past the uh, sort of initial frustrations. Uh, some of them are still there, but yeah, and I, if this game appeals to you. I would yeah. say um, just play that first round on sort of a medium, get into like year two or three and then just tank yourself on purpose and start over on hard or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Which you can totally do anytime you can just quit and it'll give you. Yeah. But uh, you want to see the events points. explode. So your entire village is on fire. Like we right. all we all love seeing that. You you do love to see it. You really do love to see it. Um. Any plugs? I know we, we kind of did some uh, some plugs at the beginning. Um, but uh, yeah, Ian, you got any interesting articles went up recently? Uh, checked out Alan Wake 2. I mean, you can follow me on uh, taptap.io. Um, mm -hmm. That's where all my stuff goes up. Um, nothing. I've been I've been stuck in racing uh, game land for the past couple of months for some reason. But uh, anyway, but tap tap. Yeah. Sign up and. And uh, especially if you're into PC or console games, uh, we'd love to have you there. Nice. Uh, John, anything, anything you want to plug? It's a, it's that beginning of the end of the year, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so not, not too much. I've got, I've had several reviews roll out uh, over at IGN of sort of slightly more strategic games um, or and strategically minded RPGs. Uh, so keep your, keep your eyes on that stuff. Um, I know at least one other city builder that's coming out soon uh, that we probably won't do a show on here. But if you're curious about which is Steam World Build, uh, that may be 
one really? to look out for the reviews and stuff on that. So I, I've liked some of those SteamWorld games. I will look at this. You should take a look at it because maybe that is actually a consensus for a show to get done. Yeah. <laughs> if we have three people say it, uh, I'll, we'll, we'll put it yeah, in the pipeline. It's like SteamWorld with like Dungeon Keeper. Like, yeah, that, that's. Dig that a hole. Just... SteamWorld colon dig a hole. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> sounds good. Uh, Rowan, anything, anything else big happening on in your you... corner of the world? You can also hear me on Total Massacre, the action movie podcast that is now a science fiction movie podcast. We are completing uh, Steven Spielberg November, where we have done AI and are going to do Minority Report tomorrow. And we also did Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, and we're going to be shifting after Minority Report into December, where we're going to do Blade Runner and Paycheck and probably a Scanner Darkly. Uh, so... That's, so you're telling me that you up to. willingly subjected yourself to plastic Smooth Jude Law? We loved Smooth Jude Law. Smooth Jude Law can't hurt you. You, you, you have Smooth totally... Jude Law is like hovering up it style from every sewer grade you, I pass, okay? You totally, John, you totally missed a whole round of Jude Law sexbot discourse on Blue Sky. It oh, was... dear. It was a whole thing for a gotta get there. on that blue sky, folks. That is yeah. a ringing endorsement of one. If you like Jude Law sex spot, you should be on blue sky. That uh, is the least weird thing I've seen discussed on blue sky. Uh, After yeah. dark. Um, I completely forgot what I was going to say next because I was thinking about Jude Law sex spot. Too It'll much, do, but, he'll do that to you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it just it happens. It happens to me throughout the day. Um, yeah, uh, I do reviews on IGN still. Persona 5 Tactica might do a show on that if anybody else played it. Um, I'm actually probably going to be on the SMTN Network podcast to talk about that as well um, as the tactics and strategy ambassador uh, over there. <laughs> um not 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 often that there's a crossover between Shin Megami Tensei and and tactics, but it happens occasionally. Um, yeah, uh, you, you can follow us on Patreon, uh, Patreon.com/3ma. We're uh, planning to do some multiplayer Age of Empires four here uh, in the near future. That expansion just came out today, yesterday. I think. Also, I think the. The Patreon exclusive episode coming the next couple months here is going to be a banger. Oh, yeah, we are. We are going to do Ridley Scott's Napoleon. Um, Yeah, we are. Troy is a maybe. I'm going to try to get Rob back. He's super busy. Uh, It's tough to pin him down, but I I would like to reunite the old. Look, uh, you just you just tell him. He probably has very little Uh, actual talking to do because at least 30 minutes of airtime are just going to be me screaming about how Joaquin Phoenix is too old to play Napoleon. Yeah. Minimum yeah. 30 minutes. Um, but yeah, we, we, we will be doing an episode on that. Uh, I'm still regardless. mad about it. I haven't even seen the movie and I'm mad about it. <laughs> I've been thinking about uh, this for months. You know, uh, I, uh, I, I won't even comment on it. We'll save it for the, we'll save it for the show. Um, yeah, I'm working on a video game. Uh, if you would get access to our Discord server through the Patreon, you might hear some exclusive updates on that video game. Um, and I'm not just yelling about it on various social media. We're at 3MA on Twitter. We're at 3MA on Blue Sky. All that stuff. 
uh, hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. Episode is produced by me. Um, I think we did that in like reverse order of how we usually do it. But yeah, I think Gotta keep that... us on our toes. <laughs> uh, that is going to do it for this week. Uh, remember to to kiss your homies. Good night. Generate some hope in this very, very fearful uh, time that we live in. And uh, we appreciate your support at uh, letting us helping us to weather the collapse of ad driven games journalism, uh, at least in some some small way. Um, Yeah, be back. I think next week with another episode, Uh, if not, then very soon. Uh, So for Ian and for Rowan and for John, this is Len saying good night. Good night, everyone. I just clicked intern and the cat went into the woods and found 12 berries. And brought nice. them back to the to the tribe. See, there is hope. Good things can happen. <laughs> and so what I have to say is, Rowan, why does your cat suck? <laughs> so uh, bad. You know, Percy, see... get your shit together, man. <laughs> where where you should what be bringing us berries. Yeah. yeah. Where are our berries, Percy? Oh man. When I see you have a zero percent chance of a good event, and I I really feel that. <laughs> I really feel that too. <laughs> it do be like that sometimes. <laughs>